of my digestion for a long time since I was young. I can't remember when it began, but it was been an ongoing saga. And I remember one time it was made clear to me that, you know, eating a lot of yogurt and taking in uh, probiotics, you know, acidophilus and drinking kefir, any cultured milk that brings those beneficial bacteria into your intestines probably would help you. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Sounds like it. Sounds like it could be an answer to to the problem. So I drank a lot of kefir and bought a lot of level, a lot of probiotics and some really high quality probiotics. Took it religiously for years. Yeah, I could feel a little bit of difference, but mostly it was like my mind was hoping there was a difference. It really, the chronic state kept staying chronic. So after a few years of this, and I spent tons of money, you know, too on the probiotics on the high level some of them like $48 for like you know 16 or whatever and uh, and I had then I, I sent my shit to be tested there's a place there's many places huh? yeah. <laughs> there was a place called Smoky Mountain Labs in, in Tennessee or something and they were supposed to be the best you know on that little subculture of trying to have an alternative healing to these dilemmas it was it was a high rated five star so I sent my shit all the way across country, <laughs> and they do a big they, they analyze it. They're very very specific, tons of stuff, and they write a whole report and they send you the report. And when I got the report back, it was interesting because in all their tests there was no traces of beneficial flora in my intestines. Not one trace, not a scent, not a, an old footprint, fucking nothing. <laughs> There was nothing in there. And I had spent a lot of money putting it in there and, and religiously putting it in there. Where the hell did it all go? Yeah. So, unbeknownst to me, there was something already in place in my system. Another bigger, badder bacteria, so to speak. A couple of them. And really, no matter what I did or what I studied or any kind of practice I followed, it was really set to fail from the beginning because I didn't know what I was up against, literally. I had no idea. So I thought these were really bona fide solutions, and if I was in a different condition, maybe they would have worked. But with the condition I was in, anything that showed up was just immediately became ineffectual. And this is sort of what it's like if you're suffering from self-centeredness, which is most people. And we, in recovery, have an extreme, we're like an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness called addiction and, and alcoholism, where we're ex- exceedingly concerned about self and all that. And if that identification as self, which is a verb, is in place, it really doesn't matter what you try to do and have. The highest turbocharged Buddhism, you know, Zen for the New Age, uh, Zen plus Kundalini plus this plus that, it's probably not going to have much of an effect on you. There'll be some little effects, but basically your daily state won't be radically shifted because there's something in place that can thwart anything you introduce to it because it's sort of will morph around it. And it's a beautiful way how it does it, really. Because anything that's introduced to you as a solution, when self-centeredness receives it, self-centeredness applies one of its typical behavioral movements, which is doing and having. So let's say Buddhism is introduced to me, and the only way I, as a self, which means there is no self, but in self-centeredness, I as a self is how I receive that invitation of Buddhism and immediately gets put into this behavioral pattern called doing and having. And guess who's going to be the doer and haver of every bit of Buddhism you do and have? It's going to be the self that you're identified as because the self is the doer and haver. And basically anything that's introduced to you as a solution to your to usually the effects of your main dilemma, because you don't see the main dilemma. You're just looking for solutions to the effects of self-centeredness so that your life gets a little more bearable, so that you won't flip out at the next picnic you get invited to, or maybe you can go out with a girl for a month instead of you know, 
stalking charges right away. And stuff. So we have these little improvements that seem like a great event when you're in hell. One degree, you know, cooler is a great progress, but in fact, you're still in hell. I mean, let's not get so filled up with our success because we haven't left hell. It's just we found a little cooler spot in it. Yeah. <laughs> We're still getting our asses burnt. So, all right, so Buddhism is introduced to me, to me as, and the me is representing the self-centeredness. It's representing, the me is a noun representing a verbal system, which is selfing. Yeah? The verb of selfing creates an illusion of being a noun, or like in old Hindu, Hinduism they call it, name and form is the beginning of the whole mistake. Yeah? So form and name. Form, body, brain, name, Paul. Yeah? Paul, name and form. So name and form now receives this new practice. And unfortunately, it will seem like the same old practice after you get to do it a little while, because what will be doing it is the selfing. And when the selfing is claiming the doing of any practice, it neuters the effects that practice may have had on you. Just like the parasite that was in my body already, or already just neutralized any effect all this stuff I took could have had on my condition. And all the medicines and the mojo, hojo, and alternative herbal elixirs and everything like that basically got whacked as soon as they entered the system because the parasite was running the show. Well, there are more parasites than just the physical ones that are an intestinal thing. There's a parasite, I like to call it self-centeredness, and it's basically taking you over. And your life is being interpreted from the point of view of being a self. And any time... Of course, it's going to create a lot of dilemma because it's a hostile takeover. So you're in the business of seeking a solution for its effects a lot of the day. And unfortunately, whenever a solution is offered to you, what receives it is the problem. And the problem will neuter the solution and let it and it get morphed right into the system of self-fitness. And I haven't seen any system that can beat that system. I've seen them all get morphed into it. I've seen Buddhism and Zen and Catholicism and Muslim and everything like that gets absorbed into just another phase of self-centeredness. You know? So the threat is immediately caused to be an unthreat, and the self can become a spiritual saint just as easy as an addict. It doesn't really care. What it cares about is the identification of the host with it as the parasite, because that gives it access to the host's life. Because it looks like a self has a life of its own, but it actually has a life of yours. You know? Your own. It has to convince you, to, and you're not, you wouldn't give it away freely to it. Yeah? It's a hostile takeover. There's no way in hell you would spend one day in this takeover if you actually can entertain being free of it. But you can't entertain truly being free of it because you're identified as it. So all you can do, the highest you can entertain is getting therapy for it, maybe, or getting some self-esteem for it, or maybe get it, like, take it to socialization school so it won't flip out at the next party you get invited to. And maybe, just maybe, instead of pissing on every parade, you'll be able to sort of follow behind it a little bit every once in a while. Now that seems like progress for someone who has no progress, but in fact, to me, that's not much progress at all. Because the possibility is you can be free of it, because one inherent reason, you're not it. You can be free of what you're not, very easily. But you have to wake up to the fact you're not it. Because you will entertain being free, but if you entertain being free as it, that's slavery. Obviously, look, has it worked for most people? They may entertain the idea of being free as a self, but that never leads to freedom. Because what we want is freedom from self, it's true. I mean, that's my view. This is my humble opinion looking in my own laboratory and watching others concoct their incredible formulas of happy joys and freedom that are always delayed years and years later, which never are delivered. Call up the factory yourself. See if they have any happiness, joyousness, and freedom on the stock now. <laughs> no. It's always a five-year Stalinist plan. Go back to school four years. Get that degree. Then you'll be happy. Or whatever. <laughs> How about it now? No, no. We don't have any in stock. we got to get it from the, the super factory. Oh, okay. When's the earliest I can get it? Well, I don't know. I'm just gonna... 
You'll have to keep calling in and see how we're doing. Yeah. So that's the semen dilemma in a sense. You're suffering from the effects of something that you can't seem to entertain being free of because you identified as it. And every time you try to get relief from the effects, that relief is hijacked by the problem and pretty much neutered. Yeah? You may get a little relief, but it's not going to bring you any radical relief because that's not its intent. It has more run over your life when you're out cold and unconscious. It does not want you to even come into the neighborhood of the moment. Yeah? It'll, it'll, it'll entertain you and I coming in the neighborhood of the moment if it's in a book that says how to be in the moment. See, it loves that because that affirms its reality that you're out of the moment. So it will let you read 80,000 self-help books that are planning on how to get into the moment more because that's reinforcing the lie that you could possibly be out of the moment. That's the whole point of it. So it doesn't matter. It, it loves spirituality. It eats it up. It can look like a spirit, just like I said, just as good as a addict, or just as bad. But if... If you can start entertaining, you're not that. Then... The trance it's sewing every day starts unraveling thread by thread. Sometimes you get a real big thread and it really it circulates the whole fabric of the trance and you just one yank and you get a big aha. Other times it's just a little bit here and there. But basically it's unraveling and where before it was sort of opaque and you couldn't see anything other than what it pasted on the board, you start seeing through the board. Yes. Now you're waking up. Now the light that's been blocked off is coming in. Not to you, because there is no you. But the light is entering into the system. And then when you experience or receive that light, you will realize, to me, the whole dilemma, or like in AA it says, the dilemma is powerlessness. And in this view, the dilemma is not having any light. Yeah, because if this room was dark, you would have to speculate how to get to the bathroom. You wouldn't know. Because you wouldn't be able to see the door. And maybe some people would sell maps to how, you know, they once got to the bathroom. And so they're telling you, I think this is go around the couch and don't go to that door and da, da, da. And here's a, buy this flashlight from me. And maybe you can, of course the battery runs out, whatever. But or you bump into things and all this stuff happens. A lot of problems occur in the dark. But what we do is we just hunker down in the darkness and we get knee pads and you know, fancy way of communicating. Hey, are you there? I don't want to bump into you. I don't want you to get a resentment. So, hey, 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 I'm going to the bathroom. I don't know where it is, but watch out. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, ho. And so obviously you've got to really think about going to the bathroom way before you need to go to the bathroom because you may not get to the bathroom. And all of these things happen. And, you know, it's really an insane dance. And there's a lot of people selling you you know, maps and everything like that. You know, knee pads, everything. Let's make it softer and comfortable in the darkness. Never questioning, hey, why don't we question the dark? No, 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 the darkness is real. Now let's get some new knee pads. You know? But if you just go to the light switch and turn on the light, you realize when the light comes in, the darkness is just its absence. That's all it is. And then, when the light's on, I don't need to get a map to the bathroom. I can see very clearly. I don't have to have a preemptive apology to you because i got a feeling I'll run into you. I will not run into you. I can navigate this room without hitting too many things if I can see. If I can't, it's a crapshoot. And really, what we're in, we're in a darkness or an ignorance. We're ignoring that we are the light. And we're in darkness, and basically, we're just living by hearsay and speculation. Actually, us, we're mostly triggering the past. So we're living, we're rethinking and refeeling constantly. Because we don't really have the light to see that a feeling that's happening now is actually happening now. We have a feeling that happens now, it just triggers a memory of a feeling that happened in the past. Yeah. We don't recognize the conscious contact. We are... What we do, what we do receive and recognize is the interpretation of it. And the head will tell you how life is and how it was and how it's going to be and how you were and how you are and how you could possibly be and how he is and how he was and how he is and was and everything like that. And it just pontificates and it has absolutely no inherent light to, to acknowledge 
the truth. It's just all skepticism. A skept, you know, it's just like speculating and throwing darts in the dark. You know? I think I feel angry. You don't even know. You, don't, you can't even recognize a feeling. We're out to lunch, unbelievably. You know, you go home to work. I, this always used to flip me out. I didn't notice it when it was happening, but I'd work, you know, a whole day, be at a place, in a location, surveillance cameras prove it, you know. Monday, <laughs> 10 o'clock, I was in that warehouse, and then I'd get home and around 8 o'clock after a couple of beers and, and uh, watching some TV, my mind would break the news to me. You had a bad day today, Paul. i go, really? Oh, yeah, you had a bad day. That guy was fucking with you, that supervisor. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice it. Oh, but I did. Oh, thank you, my old supreme one. Thank you for letting me know what's happening to me in life. I have no idea because I'm totally unconscious. Thank you for being so honest and unbiased with me. Thank you for all the good information you've supplied and some of those great decisions you've made for me and some of the great scouting you've done to you know, navigate this unknown called the day at my job. So there was like a, you know, it was going bad at 9, and it took me till 8 o'clock to get the news. So that's like about a 13-hour time delay. And that's actually good for you. People out years, they're fucking gone. They don't have a, a clue what's going on. Nine hours, at least you're in the main arena, you know, of, of the vicinity of one week in 2010. Most people are just, oh, it was so great back then, or, oh, oh. <laughs> So these are indications that something's off. Yes, you're out to lunch. The basis of life is conscious contact. Yeah? That's how we're informed that there is a life. That's how we can experience or live the interpretation of having a life. What brings us a life is the light that illuminates it so that we can see things and hear things and feel things and taste things and touch things and think things. And that's the way we know. That's the way we have an experience. Yeah? So that conscious contact is the first place, the selfing, its major modality, modus operandi, is claiming. Yes, that's what it does. Because it doesn't have a life of its own, it has to claim yours. And your life is an activity. It's called being. And what is it? It's being conscious. That's the activity of living. So there's stimuli that get picked up by consciousness. And so hearing, yes? Hearing happens. You don't choose to hear, do you? If a, if, a si if a siren goes off, you hear it. If your ears point that way, you don't go, oh, today I'm not hearing any sirens. So every siren that goes off on Tuesday or Wednesday, you don't hear it. No, there's none of that. It's whatever noise is happening, your ears ha are able to function because consciousness is seeing through them, you know. Seeing, seeing is, one way of seeing is hearing, one way of seeing is tasting, one way of seeing is touching. There are all ways of seeing, yes. Consciousness is wearing like five different glasses, but he's seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. Yeah? So that's conscious contact. So hearing is a seeing. So I'm hearing that. And yet the head, feeling of it, it maybe you used to say it. It doesn't say it anymore because the trance is in place. The assumption is, is I'm hearing it, isn't it? And the I means this, yeah? Doesn't it? Very rarely do you actually experience the flavor of hearing Really, really. Mostly it's interpretation of I'm hearing that. And then you have a lot of opinions. Oh, I like, uh, I hate Van Halen. And I like Pearl Jam. And it sounded like Pearl Jam, so I must like it. And, but I hate Van Halen. And if I found out it was David Lee Roth, I would hate it. But I sort of like it because it sounds like Pearl Jam. All this goes on. It's just yapping, 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 yapping. yapping. But, and why it has the seeming the right to yap? Because it thinks it's the one who heard it. Yes? This is where the freedom from selfing is. Not in the process of selfing, but where it's claiming the conscious contact. Because it really has nothing to do with the you that you're obsessed with. It really doesn't. So here it is. Hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching. That's conscious contact. Consciousness is in contact and it's called living. Yes? The head, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. So the head and self-centeredness has claimed living. That's the basis of it. It's claimed the first start of living. And actually the basis of all living is conscious contact. Or you wouldn't have a life to be worried about, literally. So the conscious contact is the basis of what we call living. It's the verbing of all the verbs. It's the verbing. 
It's consciousness becoming aware of. Yes? That's called, con- that's conscious contact. What occurs is that consciousness becoming aware of has been hijacked and instead it's been, becomes aware of the thoughts about selfing. Which are, selfing's a thought also, but the thoughts of selfing create a noun of a self. So now most of my attention leaves the conscious contact and now just gets consciously in contact with all those thoughts that are about me and the world as a separate place and real and historical figures and da-da-da and all these incredible reasons to have to worry about what's going to happen to me and all this. And then that becomes obsession with self. What fuels the obsession with self is your awareness of it. That's what drives you crazy. You, if you could become unaware of that thinking, that's why we used to get loaded. Because we'd get loaded, like when I was younger, I remember I went to school one day when I was about 10 or 11, and I uh, was walking through the hallway, and a girl, a pretty girl, said hello to me. And I went home and wondered what she meant by it for five hours. Yeah? That, I would say, qualifies to be called obsession with self. Yeah? <laughs> now, my attention couldn't peel away from all those thoughts that were about me in relationship to what she said and what it meant and what it will mean and blah, 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 and all this speculation. I couldn't seem to break away from it. But what was causing me really the insanity was not the thoughts, it was the awareness of them. So the conscious contact, when taken over by selfing, is what drives you crazy. The conscious contact, when left alone, is what's called abidance and peace. It's the same contact. It's just what claims it, really. So if selfing claims it, all that contact, you'll forget how much do you smell? Not much. You may smell physically now, but I mean, how much do you smell? Not much. It's very underappreciated uh, contact. And same thing with feeling. A lot of people, I remember I'm sitting on the plane, and it's always hilarious, because I used to take a lot of long flights. And let's say there was two people on the plane, or a hundred people, and let's now, let's take some of those people and make them chimpanzees, yeah? So after an hour or two of the flight, the chimpanzees would turn to each other and stop picking each other, you know, eat a little. And it's very intimate, you know? The other one, oh yes, but, you know, debug me, and then you debug them. And there would be some contact, but the humans are just totally isolated. They got the little TV screen, the food coming, the drink, the book, hey, no, no, I don't want anything to sit next to anyone. Sit right here, 15, 17 hours, no, no, I don't even want to look that way. Yes, be, come bring me food. Do, do, do. The bugs would be having some intimacy, picking things off, love, you know. Ah, snow. I'd stay here in my little porno theater of Paul. Oh, I can't stand this. This is what self-sendness has brought us to. We're totally fucking isolated and alone. And we can't even reach out and touch what we may want. Because we have thousands of thoughts about it. You don't even know what a natural impulse is anymore because it's never natural now. It's yapping over it. Thinking about every freaking move and then going over it after the move was done. All the while thinking you did it and all this. It's just selfing, selfing, selfing. And it causes your life to be heavy which causes you to want to find relief and then it tells you how you can get relief which always just reinserts the problem once again. Self-centeredness is a very small system, and you know, there'll be a lot of little pointers. Hey, that's the escape patch, but all it does is enter another realm of self-centeredness. There's no escape from self-centeredness as a self. Self is not going to transcend out of self. You can't get out of an imaginary problem, no matter how hard you try. All the getting out of it reinforces its reality to you. The, the reality is, the truth is, you recognize it's not real, and that's, quote-unquote, being out of it. And you have the antidote to all of this shenanigans all day just by the basic denominator of what we call existence or beingness, which is conscious contact. Yeah? Now, you say you're conscious contact, but I don't believe so. You're not conscious contact. Consciousness is moving through this, because I've seen dead bodies that I used to call the person, but when I saw the body without the animating principle or that consciousness, I had a very direct hit, that isn't my Uncle Fred. It's just a fucking body. So what you're calling Bill, let's say, is because you think you're Paul. So you, you see yourself as a body, so you see every other consciousness as a body. But consciousness is not a body. It's not defined by form. 
It's no thing. It's formless. That's why it's everywhere. That's why it's so everywhere you can't recognize it. Because you're trained to see things and you can't see the water that you as the fish are in. You're missing the whole thing. But it's constantly revealing its movement of being through conscious contact. And through the conscious contact, you can intimate what's conscious, what's in contact. It's not you. It's not this. Your eye is not seeing. Yeah? If this body died, someone could pluck my eye out, if they had the right surgical equipment, and go to a body who, that was alive and put my eye in it, and it would be working again. The lenses are perfect, just as they are. But without the consciousness, there's no seeing going on. Same thing with the ear. They could rip out my little ear canal, put it into someone who doesn't have an ear canal, and it would work. Unless I got stabbed in the ear or something. It would work, right? Because it's the consciousness that sees and hears and feels and tastes and touches, not the body. The body is like the lens of the telescope the scientist sees through. So the lens allow the scientists to see the stars. These lenses allow consciousness to experience this world that it's made up. This is a rising in consciousness. But this is how it interfaces with it. It has to come through a body. So this is the body it's coming through. But the body is not the consciousness. The body is the facilitator of the consciousness in this realm. It doesn't have to always be a body like this. It could be something else in another realm. But in this realm, it's a body. Yeah? So consciousness is experiencing life through a body. But don't be fooled that the body is that. Because if you are, then you're dying. And if you're dying, then maybe it would seem really valid for you to be afraid of that day you're going to die, because you are going to come to an end, and you don't want to end. But in fact, if you're not the body, and you're that consciousness, there's a very, 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 very good chance you're not dying at any point along the way. Because you are the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was no beginning and end for you. You're it. All there is is consciousness. So people who are afraid of dying have never lived. That's my view. People who have lived don't, aren't really afraid of dying because they know they ain't dying. <laughs> but people who are afraid of dying aren't living because they're identified as a self. And that is dying. That's coming to an end. I've had it happen in, in overdoses and stuff where it collapsed and it, there was no voice involved telling me I had overdosed. It had when the overdose occurred to the body, the voice of the body shut off, yeah? There was nothing left in the apparatus. That's why there's a habit, if you're living on a time delay, if you're hearing, your head tells you what happened to you. When that head tells you what happens to you, what it's telling you about is a past moment, yeah? And it's using this moment to tell you about the past moment, which makes you miss this moment. And then the next moment, you tell about the moment you missed, you make up a story, then you miss that moment, that you're telling the new story about the moment you missed and the moment you missed before, and so on and so forth. And it goes on and on and on and on, and you can never catch up to it. You're always missing the moment, because you're living an interpretation that takes up the next moment, about the moment you missed. Yeah. So there it goes, you're on this little track, on and on and on, and you're habitually just listening to your head telling you, Oh, when's that? When's the head going to inform me what happened? I'd like to know what happened today. Oh, well, you were fucked with by your boss. Oh, thank you, old great one. Thank you. Now I can just have a beer and feel right about the day. I was waiting for you to come. So let's say you're living like that and you're in that habit, and maybe, just maybe, the body's going to end one day, obviously. So that day occurs, and the body shuts down. Yeah. You're sort of sitting there, waiting for the head to tell you you died. <laughs> but it, the voice died in the moment that was going to be interpreted in the next moment. If there was a next moment, it would have told you you died, but there ain't no next moment for you. The train, which is finite, ended, and you end up in the caboose once again. <laughs> the engine left the station, and you're left in the caboose, and without the engine, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> important to realize something maybe now. You know, at least get, <laughs> you 
get to the engine room, you know. The engine room is the conscious contact. That's where life is generated. Not in the smoking cabin in the back where you're pontificating about what happened, but in the engine room. <laughs> get there. Hear the hum of life that may be happening here now. Hear that hum of life. Hear that hum of the silence. Yeah? Find some way to con- get yourself connected, you know, at least attentive to somewhat the vicinity of what's going on now. And then what's obvious will, will definitely appear to be obvious to you. Because it will appear to be obvious as you, not to you, as you. And when it appears to be obvious as you, you will see the construction of what you used to call things appearing obvious to you. That to you is a construction of mind. It has to be reconstructed every moment because the underlying fact of the moment is there is no self. So every moment, every freaking moment, Every, every, every possibility of contact has to be claimed by the head. So there's tons of seeing during the day, and it's just busy going, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing. And so what it really did was getting tired doing that all day, so now it just rehears and resees and refeels things. That's all it does, and rethinks things. It just gave up on, I can't keep up with this life. It's being constantly. It's like trying to put a flag in a river and go, this is the river. You can't capture the sense of a river by being a noun. And that's what selfing is. Selfing is a verb of mind that makes up an illusion of being a noun. And when a noun tries to know a verb, what gets lost is the verbage, the verb of it. Yeah? So you cannot know being as a topic. You have to travel as being to get to know it. By traveling as being, it intimates what it is. Because it's a movement. You can't capture it. I can't go, oh, here's being. Right? I caught it about three weeks ago. There it is. Big, big motherfucker. There it is. And now I'm going to study it. And now I'm going to be an expert. I know being. No. A noun can never know a verb. Because the noun has forgotten the essence of being a verb. A noun is the act of denial of a verb, actually. So you're taking this as a noun, and now this noun wants to know what living or being is, and it cannot possibly get it as a noun. It has to tell the truth about not being a noun, and then it is a verb. Then it doesn't need 800 pages of scriptures. You're your own light. You don't need another authority. To tell you, you need another authority to tell you when you're a noun all fucking day. Because you can't get the essence of being. It's impossible because you're not moving with it. You're standing still, in a sense. Saying, this is me. This is my fixed reference point. And not, I can't see life is happening. It's happening to me. And therefore, and this incredible, incredible deluding effect. And so the noun is neutered of the verb. And therefore, it can't get the essence of a verb as a noun. It can only realize the essence of a verb when it realizes it's a present tense verb. But not as a noun. The self can never, can never get the feeling of a verb because its whole agenda is that it's a noun. That all verbs are happening too. How did you, did you ever see walking, punching, running? They're two verbs. They don't run into... Walking can't run into running or something. You know what I mean? It's, they're just verbing. There's no direction. They're not happening to anything. They're just happening. Yeah. Your beingness is like a unbridled horses running wild and you just want to put your heels in and know. Yes? I'm going to know something. I know I should be getting more than this right now. I just know it. But you're not getting more than this right now. Well, then I'm going to deny this and go into where? A mythical what's not happening. Where I will get what I want. Then, later, you know, obviously. But I will get it. Or I used to have it. So I'm going to say, fuck to this place, this moment, because it doesn't have what I want, and I'm just going to hope I will have what I want later, or I once did have what I want. And I would rather stay in there as a self, than to be in the movement of this moment. Because I have come to, I know that it doesn't have what I want in it. 
So I'm going to now play God, and I'm going to get into my little magic carpet, all my thoughts about what's not happening, and the original what's not happening is going to fly away into the realm of what's not happening. Because you as a body, as a, as a Paul, as a Deb, as a Greg, is really what's not happening. You are a total interpretation of a mind that is constructed in self-centeredness. It is a program. It, it's almost like a foreign installment. It's very small, has very limited possibilities. Its thinking is defined by the system, so it cannot, you cannot transcend out of self through thought. No freaking way. Because the thought is a product of, it's a, it's a facilitating product of the system called self-centeredness. So if you're relying on thought, you're relying on self, and we've already got to that point in recovery, that self is unreliable. So all you can do is hope that it will be better, or reminisce about one time it was great. Both are mythical, so now your head wants to live in what's not happening, and yet what it does in what's not happening, it's a giant field where it can plant imaginary old plants, yes? And it, they're like marijuana. They're like hydroponic, hybrided marijuana. You've got buds of guilt and shame that have been, that you've been working on for 30 years, you know, cultivating every day. Oh, I did that once. Oh, I can't tell anyone what I did. It was such a terrible thing. And you've been convicted in your own little courtroom. You've been the judge, the jury, and you're living your sentence out. And you go there and you harvest and what's not happening. All of this guilt and fear and speculation about, oh, the impending doom. And then you download it now into the poor body, and the body reacts as if it's happening now Wednesday night. And so now, on Wednesday night, you're dealing with all the processing refuse of what's not happening in that mythical 40 years, and it gets downloaded in you right now, and your body's flipping out. I mean, most people who have lived life, if they had a pretty good life, maybe they had 20 times in their life they really had the emotion of fear. Probably less, maybe 10. 20 times. It's a valid emotion. There was a threat and there was a reaction by the body or a response. You got, you know, adrenaline and you either took flight or fight for it. But most people are suffering the physiological effects of fear produced by mental anxiety coming from this incredible promised land of what's not happening. So your mind is totally absorbed in what's not happening, and anything can happen there. I'm serious, you know, you can be destitute in what's not happening. Right now you may be totally okay, but you're so un-okay there, it overrides the okayness here, because it's always denying the fact of what's happening. It's its replacement, because you're not happy with what's, not, what's happening. So you figure, I'm going to take a chance and live in what's not happening. But you don't know what you introduce to what's happening and what's not happening. You introduce tons, tons of refuse, of anxieties. And then when you go into the past, what's not happening? Guilt and shames and nostalgias and fucking false memories and da-da-da. And this moment, which this is a sense of beingness, becomes a storage unit for all the products of what's not happening past and future. So you have resentments and, and things that you, oh, well, you did something terrible, secrets, and then you have all of this anxiety. And what does anxiety do? It paralyzes you, right? So it paralyzes the verb into a noun. The constant, incessant expression of life, the beingness, this mind processes into a noun. Yes? You get paralyzed. Instead of moving, you shut down. And then you just get storage. Then all you're doing is rethinking, refeeling, re-seeing, re-tasting, retouching. Yeah? It's totally, the conscious contact has been pretty much covered, completely silenced, finished. You have no fucking clue what's going on. And yet you're thinking, feeling, tasting, touching, and this and that, so you feel like you're alive. Hey, I'm alive! I've been thinking the same thing for 30 years. That is, I've, been re I've been feeling the same thing every time I meet a woman who doesn't really like me, I feel the same thing every time. Refeeling means to do again, and again, and again, and again. 
So your life isn't new anymore, and you know it. It feels like the same old, same old. There's an unbearability, because you're supposed to be fluid, and yet you become stagnant. You're supposed to be able to, things are meant to come and go through you, not come, be identified, and then claimed, and then filed away. Oh, I can't share any, I can't share my thought with anyone. Oh, I had, thoughts come and go. Have you ever known, do I sit here and go, oh, I can feel someone, there's a thought in the marina that's meant for me. I'm gonna, alright, I can hear it, it's coming. Oh, don't you miss me. No. A thought shows up, you become aware of it. You don't, you're not aware of this though. While you're aware of it, the conscious contact, you see the thought, right underneath are two old ideas. I'm the thinker of this thought, or the thoughts about me. Sometimes they happen at the same time, sometimes it's one more than the other, yeah? But as soon as that happens, that thought becomes my thought, and that my thought now, instead, its trajectory, which is the come and go, now becomes orbital. It starts orbiting around the sun of the system of self-centeredness, which is you, I, me, mine. You are the solar system center. And now all the thoughts and all the feelings get to orbit around you. You believe they're doing it to you, but you're the one with the gravitational pull. That's why where I go to is not with the thousands of thoughts and the feelings and all the behaviors. I could care less. It's who believes he thought them and did them and felt them. That's where I like to go. Because if you're not that, it releases this orbit and those things can go because that's their nature. Their nature is to come and go. Their nature isn't to be given resuscitation and redone and refelt and rethought over and over and over again. They were meant to come and go. That's the beingness of it. Everything arises, you're aware of them. Everything goes, you're aware of that. And other more arises. This never blinks, the awareness. Everything, these blink a lot. They come and go. That's the nature. Yes, Millions and millions and millions of comings and goings. Coming through five doors, six doors. Millions and millions and millions of guests, but none of them move in. Because there is a master already, which is the consciousness. The consciousness is witnessing every contact that's ever, ever, ever occurred. And most you don't even know you are in contact with. The awareness doesn't miss. Because it's pure seeing. Pure seeing. But you're not that as a self. No freaking way. And the self isn't going to attain it or achieve it. No freaking way. Try, you know. Better men and women have tried than us, and they've all failed miserably because it's unattainable, because it, you are that. It's being obviously demonstrated every second of your life. But that's why they say it's called an open secret. And people go, well, how could there be a secret if it's open? Exactly. It's not, it's not a freaking secret. We make it a secret because of our identification itself, or the gateless gate. What's a, how could there be a gate without a gate? What's a gateless gate? It implies there ain't no gate, obviously. There's nothing you have to walk through. There's no doorman you have to tip to get in. You're in it right now. But not as a noun. Yeah, that's an appearance in it. But you are the verb of life. You are being. Being. Not wasing and willing, but being. So the verb of selfing if you listen to it, your awareness has become, con your consciousness is captured by it. There's, a, there's an illusion that made that this verbing, there's a thought, another verb in it that takes, assumes it's a noun. And then now it assumes it's having all the other thoughts. Yeah? So there's a thought that now claims all the other thoughts. That thought is the idea of being a self. And then that thought claims all the other thoughts that are moving through the apparatus. Yes? But it's also a thought. So that's why I call it selfing. There's no noun. There's an illusion of a noun, but I, there's no noun to be found here at all. All is fluid. All is moving. All is living being. Yes? All is I aming, let's say. But what we want to do is I am a noun. And then we think we're having the experiences of verbs. But we forget that we are a verb, yeah? And then we suffer the consequences of being a noun. Stagnancy, separation, difference, aloneness, yes? Not getting what I want because I'm in this location, what I want's in another location. All of those things become real in the interpretation. 
So the source of love can live as if it hasn't been loved here. For only a short period of time. It couldn't, it couldn't withstand that. They couldn't keep entertaining that illusion. It would have to die. It can do it for a certain amount of time. But it does. You feel like you're, you, you're looking for love when you're the source of it. It's hilarious. Sad if you're in it, but it's hilarious when you see it. You know? You're actually trying to do and have yourself into peace when it's a state. It's not something you can do and have into. If you can do and have yourself into peace, that's a conditional peace which will be changed by the conditions when they change, and they will change. So a circumstantial or conditional peace isn't worth its name because you want a peace that doesn't have an opposite, that's not conditioned or caused. Yeah? You want a peace that's peace in and of itself. Well, I'd say that peace is that consciousness that's demonstrating itself through what we call being all day. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know what you were fucked unless it was illuminated. The thoughts that convince you you're fucked wouldn't be seen unless we were aware. You couldn't have all of your stories and dramas going on and, and think they're so meaningful and real unless the stage was lit up by awareness. So awareness is the bringer of this whole place to us. And yet very few of us are aware of it at all. So. We're descending this, the steps of self into hell. Oh no! It's going lower. How low can it go? There's where the Savior comes. They fail you. Ooh, lower. <laughs> the fairy princess, lower. Money, lower. I'm still descending. He promised all these things would save me. No. <laughs> you don't need to be saved. There's no need to be saved. How could, how could consciousness be saved? How could awareness be saved? So it just so happens that this body consciousness is <laughs> seeing and hearing and touching and smelling because that's what this apparatus Yeah, that's it's going it has six doors. You know what I mean? There could be another realm where they had twelve doors. You know? Who knows? There could be another realm that there was twelve doors of conscious contact with the surroundings that that apparatus was in. Who knows? This has six. Maybe this is a stock model. Well, I thought of what you were talking about. say it comes through this prism, this apparatus, and it gets differentiated into a world that you now have experiences with. Sort of like, an, I don't know if that's true or not, but it works for me. I know the undifferentiated light is, I don't know if it's actually coming through here as a prism, but it seems that way. It seems that most things that we're perceiving were actually preceded by a projection from the same camera. I think this camera can be used a lot of ways. One way it projects, and then the next way it perceives. So it looks like it's seeing something outside that's real, but I believe it's also the vehicle which a projection goes through. So the outside of world gets projected, and then the camera changes into seeing it as something real, and then takes pictures of it, and then we call that perception. Yeah, but in the Course in Miracles, they'd always say projection comes before perception. So the same camera, this apparatus projects 
gives meaning to things, and then we see those things, and one of the means we give them things is that they're real and solid out here. So now we perceive them as real and solid. But are they actually real and solid, or, are they, or is that a projection of a mind? Who knows? A mind that projected this world and then perceives it as if it's real and solid. But it's the mother, father, explorer, finder, loser of the world. It's all in one. So the undifferentiated light comes through here, differentiates into things. You experience them as real and solid, and then you get the sense of being real and solid by your relationship to other real and solid quote-unquote things. And in all that activity, you can forget the no-thingness of consciousness. And unfortunately, it seems like when there's an identification as a thing, you suffer as that thing. (laughs) I don't think there's a need for suffering, but as a thing, there sure seems to be. When there's an identification as a thing, there seems to be suffering as that thing. Yeah? Yeah. So everyone wants to lessen the suffering, but they don't want to question the thingness that they're identified as. And yet they're they're, uh, symbiotic. The suffering and the thingness are in cahoots. It's not like suffering's happening to the thingness. The thingness causes suffering to seem to be real. So we're saying, hey, I can't stop the suffering that seems to be in your life, but maybe I can allow you or invite you to question the thingness you believe you are. Because I would say your suffering will decrease dramatically if you realize you're not the thing that I believe is the magnet to it, to the suffering. I think they're in cahoots, totally. There would be no suffering without thingness, and there's no thingness without suffering. We get a sense of relevance and reality by suffering. Because I must be real if I can suffer. Yeah? Ooh, this hurts. This must be real. Isn't that the way you do it? This hurts, so it must be real. Alright, bring on some more hurt. I want to be more real. Alright, now I'm really feeling real because I'm suffering like fucking crazy. (laughs) But it informs my mind it's real. Do you think it's going to stop the suffering? Because it wants to be real. It ain't going to stop the suffering. If branding it with a hot flame makes it sense you feel like you're a real self, it will. You have to see its agenda. Its agenda is to become. Like the Buddha said, the root of the suffering is desire, but one way it's translated is desire, the, the desire to become. And what is it that the mind desires to become? It desires to become a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, and also desires to become God by playing God to that long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And I think that's the suffering. Now, you can go either way. You can say, hey, yeah, all I am is that conscious contact, or you can start entertaining you maybe not that self, and you'll lose interest in that self. And where do you think some of that interest will go that's been going to that bank of selfhood all day? And you have you can't withdraw any of it. It's always like on a savings plan or whatever. Can I have any of my money? Oh, and no, no, your attention's being well used by selfing. Just keep <laughs> pumping it in there. Maybe, let's say, if, that, if I identify entertained that I'm not that, some of that attention that keeps getting, you know, taken out of my work uh, check every week and dumped into that account or whatever, would be free to go somewhere else. And it may just possibly attend to the conscious contact. And if attention attends to the conscious contact, something may become obvious to you in that, which is there's consciousness involved in this contact. I'm not so much involved in it as I thought, but consciousness is totally involved with it. And I'm not what's not involved in it. I must be what's involved in it, which is the consciousness, which will further your realization that you're not a self, and then more interest will be freed up, and that interest may go into others or may go into the flow of life, but that interest will have a fluidity and a moving and a cycling. It won't be used to secure or like watch over a storage unit of resentments and thoughts and rehashing and refeeling and rethinking and re-specialing all day. It may be free to do something else. But now it's totally enslaved to selfing all freaking day. So your attention, when it's obsessed with selfing, actually creates the feeling of the absence of light when it is light. It becomes, when it's used to 
illuminates self, it darkens everything else. Yeah? The self stands out in the darkness. You're sure of one thing. I'm this self that I'm thinking about all day. I have total confusion about what's happening. What is like me? What should I be doing? But I sure know who's having those confusions. It's me, Paul. Feeling, yeah, see me. Mirrors everywhere. Constant mirrors, reflections. Me, 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 me. So now you feel totally illuminated, but you're dark as hell. Because your attention is only putting a spotlight on what you're not, which creates a sense of darkness, and you forget the light that you are. Obviously, if you're suffering immeasurably, you've forgotten the light that you are. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. So if you're living with a lot of bad fruit, I would check out the orchard you're in. You may be sitting under the wrong freaking tree. The bird of self may be shitting on you. That's what's happening. <laughs> and it's got a, it's been, the way it processes life, it produces a lot of shit. I'm telling you. And you're going to be cleaning up after it. Because you're going to be identified as it. If you're identified as it, you're claiming every time self expresses through you, you think it's yours. You're beholden to it now. You have to do with that. You have to do something with it. Hide it or dump it on someone, or therapize it, or somehow, and it's going to occupy all your attention, and that attention is going to be used to keep you unconscious. Because you'll be attending to what you're not all freaking day, and that attention, which is just meant, it can illuminate your whole life, or it can create, not create, but make, make an illusion of being totally in darkness. You have to realize, light here can appear to be dark. If it's used to ignore the fact of being light, it can appear to be dark. This is duality here. So lightness appears and darkness appears, but both are light. Both are the one light. The one light appears in both two different ways, but they're not, they're not inherent separate things. They're the one light. One light is attending to something that causes this to seem dark. Not the light, but the life you're in, and the other light is causing it to be illuminated. It's the same light. When this light is enslaved to self, it causes everything to seem dark. When it's free from self, it illuminates your way. It's the same light, exact same light. There can't be light and darkness. All there is is light. There's an appearance of light and darkness. But all there is is light. It's just like faith. You know, we, do, we go this every week. Every one of us in this room has tons of faith. I hope you get this a little bit. Because faith is, all of us have tons of it. It's what vehicle you put it in that causes it to manifest the way it does. If you have faith in all of your conditional thoughts, what you're going to produce in your life with that faith is anxiety. Tons of anxiety about what's not happening. The same faith, if it's put into something that's infinitely true, it's going to produce an ease and comfort in your skin now. You're going to be traveling lighter. Not next week. I don't know if you're going to get a parking space or not. But you'll be traveling lighter now. Yeah? And that's how you know it, by its fruit. The delivery is now. Never put off. Never time delay. Never five-year Stalinist plan. It's now. Yes? Because it isn't in time. It's not conducted by time, nor is it defined by time, nor can it be partitioned by time. It floods in whatever now is now. Yeah? It's total access. It's not set by a time. It's timeless. It's like the pause. People think the pause is a, is a, a space between two thoughts or two situations. A pause is a, is a free sample of timelessness. The pause is timeless. It's bookended with time because we're in time as a self, but the pause is not of time. You can sense it. It has a different feeling when you're in a pause. It doesn't even, it's a whole different atmosphere than almost every other moment you're seemingly in, which has got the smell of napalm, so to speak, like that movie. It stinks. But the pause is eternal. It's a free sample. Right there is your revelation.
After a while, the pause will override the moment, the moment, the moment thing. You'll experience life almost as the pause. The moment-to-moment, moment appearances and disappearances won't leave much of an impression, but you'll get a sense of that constant thing that's always so, and you'll, that's what allows you to travel lighter. Because it's a sense of something that's not defined by a day, or a moment, or even a life. It's got a whole different movement. You know, We have all these rivers of time, but this is like a river of timelessness. has a different current, and you are part and parcel of it. And you have the ability to intimate its effects, but you've got to be riding it. You can't get a raft built by the self, and you can't get a ticket to go on that raft by, as a self, because this is not about a self. A self can't travel this river. So. We're going to pass the basket, eh? Yeah. Here you go.